Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. Welcome to episode 21 of the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. And today we're going to be covering three examples of telehealth and why uh, or or how you can bring those into your office and and maybe why too so first we want to cover a little bit more about telehealth and what's kind of the landscape and what the, the future is looking like based on the proposed rules and the public health emergency but then mark's going to walk us through several examples of how to really get telehealth incorporated maybe on a on a very consistent basis into your practice. And uh, we'll also be sharing some statistics about how many visits and uh, really kind of what what's changed obviously with the with the pandemic. So I'm gonna turn it over to Mark and uh, we'll get started. Oh, thanks, Scott. Yeah, this has been um, obviously a strange year. Um, and uh, we've seen a lot of changes relative to telehealth and you know that PRS has always has been talking about telehealth and its utility uh, moving forward for some time now and and ultimately when when the public health emergency popped into play uh, the it, it fast-tracked telehealth in in the in the US uh, with the and that all started really with the public health emergency and of course, was significantly influenced by Medicare's uh, change in how that they they reimbursed and where the patient could be to have a reimbursable visit. So uh, we've got a lot of different things that changed in the mix, but the the general experience I think from both the physician side and from the patient side was uh, that telehealth actually has a place uh, in healthcare in the U.S. moving forward. The question is going to be how that's going to work, and so. Let me just throw out a, a couple of things. Um, I read somewhere, and I've been trying to refine this article, that Medicare prior to the public health emergency was paying for about 14,000 telehealth visits a week. And during the public health emergency, when they changed the rule, that jumped up to about 1.8 million a week. Um, so it was a huge jump. And obviously with stay-at-home orders, that's bigger than it will be longer term. Uh, but it did show that there was uh, some capacity out there and an appetite for telehealth. So as we look further down the road, first of all, we we still have the public health emergency in place with all the rules that allow us to charge for new patient visits and established patient visits, phone-only visits, um, and all while the patient is at home and while the physician is at home. Now, the proposed rule, as we covered a couple of weeks ago, uh, does look like they're going to try and keep as many of those services as they can, but there are some blocks, uh, and and it is going to take an act of Congress to actually allow the patient to receive healthcare services in a home setting. Uh, we do know that Medicare does not feel that a new patient visit should be done via telehealth. So there does need to be an established relationship with the patient 
So the patient is going to need to see you in person first uh, before they get a, uh, before they get services via telehealth after the public health emergency ends. And right now that's scheduled for October 23rd. Uh, again, going back to our podcast on the proposed rule, it really looks like um, that will be extended at least until January 21 and uh, 21st, and most likely uh, going out into March 23rd uh, for that, or April 23rd as the second uh, declaration goes through. So, um, so at least through the first quarter, I would fully expect that the rules will remain as they are. Uh, but that is a projection because the Secretary of Health and Human Services has to renew the public health emergency every 90 days. Um, so, but moving forward, uh, because of the utility of telehealth, we've had a number of urology practices that are really looking beyond the public health emergency and maybe uh, what can telehealth do for the practice and for your, your bottom line moving forward as well as staying in touch with the patient. And there's a lot of good things out there. So let's look at a, a couple of things that are out there that I think um, have been addressed within the proposed rule and understand that during the public health emergency for as long as it lasts, you've got even more leeway to experiment to try and really hone your craft, if you will, and train your patients to uh, really utilize telehealth to its full capabilities. So a couple of things um, that I just wanted to throw out there um, as we look kind of down the road are th is the expansion that CMS has made relative to CTBS, the communication technology-based services, and remote monitoring. Um, these are important tools uh, in urology, and we've seen a, a number of things that are coming into the market that may allow you to uh, have maybe see a patient uh, in the office, uh, even after the public health emergency. Right now, you could actually see the patient um, via phone and video. Uh, but if you saw the patient, and let's say you needed some more tests done, maybe you wanted to do um, a Uroflow, or you wanted to have the patient go out and get uh, some imaging done, those types of things. So. Um, you can now take the patient and actually send them out for tests and have those tests uh, shipped to you remotely. And if they are fine, uh, the test result turn out to be clear and maybe you don't need to see the patient for down the road. Uh, right now you can do an office visit, but down the road, you could actually use some of those, the G codes, the G2010 or the G2012, and they're expanding out um, some of the coverage that you can do incident to with your uh, staff that you can now get paid for those follow-up phone calls um, with the patient uh, to, to actually keep their care going without bringing them back into your office. And I think one of the things that really needs to shift is, as with everybody and how you look at things is going back to pre-COVID, um, the majority of urologists that I knew were fully booked. You know, you were putting patients off that needed to be seen and moved down the treatment pipeline, if you will, to actually get the services that they needed. And because you were seeing these quick visit patients, they were taking your time and blocking you from taking the patients that you really needed to see 
towards that next step towards their their treatment goals, um, which are going to be important too when we talk about how we look at the the new E and M codes and and kind of the way those things are being established as to what level of service you can charge. So you need to look at this both from an expense side and an op a lost opportunity cost side and not just a straight revenue side. I think a lot of people look at an office visit as an office visit and giving up that 80 bucks or that $110 is a big uh, is a big give up to the top line. Well, the reality is if you can fill your schedule, uh, you may be better off doing a quick $20 visit under a G-code or a $15 G-code visit to keep your schedule free, to keep moving those patients that you need moving forward. So start really thinking about the delta, um, not just the income, um, not just the expense, but what is it that I can do with my time to increase the number of patients that I see that have a difference between my cost and my revenue stream. Um, and that's really where kind of we've been talking for a while. We borrowed a good phrase from John Lynn, treat and street. You know, get your schedule cleared up so that you're moving patients more quickly toward their treatment goals and use some of this technology that's now available that's opened up to actually clear your schedule and keep your patients uh, keep your slots open for those patients that really need to see you and continue to progress. In addition to those uh, particular items, and, and again, I, I'll go back and actually mention just one more reminder that the, um, the, the current rules allow you to actually get paid for office visits for those phone interactions. So you can, you can start training your patients with direct physician-patient interaction and move them more towards getting used to the phone and getting advice from you uh, through the phone or through technology uh, and coordinating their care across the board. It's kind of a, a, a something that I borrowed from Ray as he was going through all of this. He really liked the phrase high tech, high touch. Um, using technology to increase the way the patient feels in connection to you. And that's really where the market is going. Another thing that's really big that we're seeing moving forward is this remote monitoring. Uh, you know, we do have some devices now, um, and I'll just use one, uh, the Euroflow uh, devices that can be, uh, you can give your patient uh, to actually do some remote monitoring at home. Uh, the AUA has come out with a position paper and, and certainly as we read through the proposed rule, it looks uh, like you could do where you could see a patient um, live uh, as a new patient, maybe send them home with one of these remote Euroflow devices and then have the information uh, sent back to you. Uh, and you've got a remote monitoring code, this 99091, um, that allows you to look at the, uh, the results uh, from the the Euroflow device that is uh, currently available to the patient so that, that those results come to you. Uh, that result, that, that code actually pays pretty well for receiving and interpreting the data. And then um, based on what those results show, maybe you bring them back into the office or right now do a remote encounter, 
talk about moving their meds around or bring them into the office for more testing for things that, that are capable of doing that. And, and so that's, that's one of the ways of doing it as opposed to the traditional methodology of really looking at you bring the patient in, you do a Euroflow then, which does take time in your practice and maybe slows down your patient's flow, pardon the pun, as they're trying to, to make sure that they can go to the bathroom. You've got to set up and clean the Euroflowometer um, and then move the patient forward. So there's a cost to the practice in time and overhead that now gets shifted over um, uh, outside of the practice. Um, now, we do have some issues on how you're going to pay for that technology that I know the AUA is working on. I've been talking to them about trying to get a, a better way to pay for the device itself um, as it's rented out to the patient or provided to the patient. Uh, but it, there, from a cost perspective and a revenue perspective, as you look at things overall, two visits and a remote monitoring actually have a better bottom line hit, even renting the equipment or better um, uh, delta, if you will, than simply having the patient do one euro flow uh, in the office. So there's a number of different things that are available to you with the telephone and remote services uh, that you can move your patients along. You can stay in touch with them. Uh, we certainly know that a lot of folks that are out there in the bigger practices are using more and more uh, care path guidance counselors, you know, nursing staff to make sure that the patients are being compliant uh, with, this, with the treatment that they're being prescribed and moving them down the road, finding out whether or not they do need surgery or not, instead of just continuing to see them every once in a while and filling up your practice uh, with those patients um, that are not going to progress uh, maybe for the, those treatments or they're not following their protocols. They get frustrated with you and end up leaving your practice. So there's there are so many things that I really see that you can leverage. Communication technology-based services, uh, telehealth services for your E&M under the public health emergency, and these remote monitoring services that are going to expand urology and how urology works. So take advantage of this time that you've got got right now and the ability to charge for all of those uh, services that can be provided remotely and figure out what fits into your practice. Again, I, I think I mentioned we've got urology groups that are out there that are thinking long term that telehealth and remote support for their patients is going to account for 20% of their patient encounters to free up their, their practice moving forward. I have a question for you, Mark. Um, All right. You know, you'd mentioned, and we've had this question before, but could you, you mentioned that there is the, you have the ability now, well, you, you've always had the ability in the last few years, but you have the ability to group train patients. But we've had the question, you know, how can you get reimbursed or can you get reimbursed by bringing in a group of patients uh, telehealth wise and, and educating them on a disease process? Can you walk us through what is possible to get reimbursed and what's not in that setting? Yeah, so they, there's so there's not a good way to actually handle remote education of patients uh, as a group. That that is one of those areas where there's not maybe a direct reimbursement link there, but it does 
makes sense again if you look at things from a time utility and progression standpoint then um, one of the groups that I had been talking with on this was you know they they had the same discussion with their patients who were given three choices on how they could really progress or or move to treatment and they had to meet with each of these patients individually and spend 15 to 20 minutes and and it was most of them were time-based visits because it was even under the old rules 50 percent counseling or coordination of care um, so they were trading time for money which is not the most efficient way to do things instead um, if you looked at it as being able to do a group session at that point in time, lay out all the options, go through that same repetitive uh, discussion with the patients as a group, <clears throat> and, and then answer a few questions uh, so that it is an interactive session, but then charge for the visits as, as in encouraging each one of the patients to maybe do the telehealth visit after you've laid out all the information, charge for a telehealth visit, to then get them teed up for surgery, uh, for the surgery that actually makes the most sense for them. So it was, it was a combination of cost uh, savings by being able to actually not have to trade time for money by grouping things in an educational standpoint, but then moving more towards the revenue generation side, giving all that information to a group all at the same time, saving that overlap and allowing you to now charge for more directed, more productive time. Mark, there's one other reason for being serious about developing uh, telehealth into your practice and planning to keep it there, and that's patient demand. You know, I've had a few visits by telehealth, and it was much more uh, time uh, savings and, and safe for me to do that rather they go to the physician's office. And I have many, many friends who are now going to demand that they continue telehealth rather than spending the time to go to offices when it's unnecessary. And the majority of the visits, you really don't have to see in the office. Yep, I, I, your, your story is not alone, and yours makes a lot of spent, a sense, especially because you're an hour and 15 minutes drive from the nearest doctor up there on the, uh, on the, in, in the mountains. So um, there's, there's the, the practical standpoint there is, and it is, and you're not alone. Um, just the physical issues there, um, and, and while we have the public health emergency, that's an issue. But the other one is just the general daily disruption in life of getting up, getting in the car and going to visit the physician versus being able to take a 15, 20 minutes out of your day and, and handle everything via the phone. Um, the patients really enjoyed the one-on-one -on -one interaction. They enjoyed what they got. They got the results they really wanted. And of course, the physician still has the ability to say, man, something's really wrong with you. You got to come in. We need to move this thing forward. So Again, going back, high-tech, high-touch, I think it's going to be part of it. Phones are a part of life, and, and Medicare did make a definition to change telephone and video conferencing to allow for use of that smartphone, that computer that everybody cares in their carries in their pocket. So it's going to be a change. People are going to need to incorporate it, and the opportunity's there. And right now is the perfect time to experiment, 
Um, it's a perfect time to actually get paid to build a, a practice that can survive uh, with in the new environment of high-tech, high-touch. And uh, have you noticed, or Mark, have you heard that any problems with private payers? Uh, are they following Medicare for the most part or going beyond Medicare? So yes and yes. I mean, and no. So, I mean, as with anything, the private payers are a different beast. The states have different rules that require the private payers to behave differently. Uh, the payers are seeing the utility of telehealth. I think that that's very apparent in that most of your major payers actually have their own telehealth division already in place to try and handle and, and encourage patients to triage uh, through their telehealth portal. So telehealth is something that is uh, popular with the private payers. The reimbursement picture is, um, as we see with everything, not necessarily the clearest or the same from payer to payer. And your state has some significant influence on what these insurance companies are required to pay for. Um, and of course, the public health emergency affects the Medicare Advantage plans, which has a trickle-down effects to all the commercial plans. So uh, there's a lot of influence there. It's all over the board, but I, I will tell you that um, most of the private payers do have some telehealth options and have had it even prior to the public health emergency. Um, in the end, I, I guess right now I'll, I'll put a little bit of a bully pulpit plug in there, is that you, know, you need to be active in supporting your uh, your uh, specialty societies and your medical societies at the state level, um, as well as the national level, to make sure that your telehealth rules are really fully uh, embraced by the legislator and that they do favor your, um, your practice. Uh, that's a big push. We need to push Medicare to make sure that the place of service of home for the patient continues to be a place that's, uh, that services are allowed even after the public health emergency. So we do need some political action to, to get this all in place. Uh, so spend some time, contact your congresspeople uh, directly if you've got those, or work with your state and your local medical or, or specialty societies to, to broaden this and, and the payment abilities there. So it sounds like uh, with all that we've covered today, and we'll wrap this thing up, but it uh, sounds like you really need to be intentional on getting telehealth into your practice and put, put some systems in place and really take a look at what you, how you're treating the patients and what you can move out into a telehealth, uh, into, into the telehealth field or into the telehealth arena. Now, the one thing that you did mention, Mark, was, you know, that in looking at all this, you need to plan kind of in two phases. One, how does it look now during the, the public health emergency? And then two, beyond, you know, let's take a look at it in two different phases. Like, what does that look like when the, the public health emergency is no longer uh, in force? Is that correct? That is correct. So... All right. 
So mm-hmm. Mark gave you three examples, and you want to run through, just recap it one more time, Mark. What what are the three different ways you can bring telehealth in and that you recommend looking at right now? So obviously telehealth itself, which is audio-visual. Uh, right now, office visits, new patient and established. Uh, CTBS, or communication technology-based services, which are phone-based or through your portal or email. Uh, and then remote monitoring services. So those are things that um, are available to you in a number of different aspects uh, to allow you to, to continue to, to treat and monitor your patients or to further decide how to treat your patients. So you've got three excellent pathways uh, that you need to continue to explore and continue to support uh, legislatively. All right, let's wrap this up. Any last words, Ray? No, uh, not really. Just, uh, you know, I always thought my patients really like to come in to see me, except for one little part of the exam. But after uh, looking at the remote, and I, I think that a lot of them are going to enjoy seeing you on the screen or hearing your voice instead of being there in person. All right. Last word to you, Mark. We'll call it a day. I would say good luck, everyone, to keep pushing, keep supporting, and and keep looking forward. Um, there's the we're starting to see that everybody's starting to bounce back, and the care is there. But you still got a few folks that are afraid to come see you. Um, use use the tools available to you to keep that giving that great patient care to your patients. Happy coding. Thank you for listening to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there's time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. Special thanks to Carl Painter for the music today. You can find his music under his record label, The Juicery, with extra pulp and special guests.